Welcome to Murder Bucket, a true crime podcast where I talk about everything from murders, paranormal activity, kidnappings, abductions, and also weird stuff. If you never want to miss a new episode, be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. It would also be helpful if you rated and left me a review. This spreads the word about Murder Bucket. Let's see what we're going to pull out of the bucket this week. Good evening, Murder Bucket family, and welcome to another hot and disgusting Tuesday. You are here with me, and tonight we've got a very interesting episode. And by interesting, I do mean fun. What we are going to do tonight is called Google Search Autofill. So you gave me several different things to slightly look up in Google, and then we are going to discuss the autofill options that Google decides to give us. And then at the end of the episode, we have a fantastic true crime news corner. We've got so much stuff to talk about. So be sure, stay to the very end, and listen to everything that has happened in July. Before we get started, let's go ahead and do our week-slash-weekend recap. Friday evening, I went out with two of my very best friends to dinner, and we ate really delicious food, had some fantastic adult beverages, and then turned into little teenagers and walked around the mall because it was storming outside. Saturday, we had several of our friends over in the afternoon because this past Monday was my husband's 36th birthday. And because we were out of town the previous weekend celebrating his birthday, we ended up having the party this past weekend with all of our friends. So several of them got here around noonish, and I don't think the last person left until about 11.30. And the main focus of that party was eating, drinking, and playing board games, which is exactly what my husband wanted to do, and it was absolutely fantastic. Sunday, we woke up and we were getting ready to go to church, but then our daughter threw up a couple of times, so we ended up just staying home. She's all better now. It seems like it was just like a morning bug thing. Not really sure what it was. And then Sunday afternoon, I went and played softball with our church league. We did, in fact, win 16 to 10. Then it was Monday. Not too much exciting happened yesterday. And now you're here with me. We're going to go ahead and get started with several of the things that you actually sent me. So if you hear a little click, click and a tap, tap, that's just me actually looking up the stuff. Please ignore it. I don't know how to get rid of it. Okay, let me see what the first thing is over here. We have the unsolved murder of. And the only thing that actually comes up is... The Unsolved Murder of Beverly Lynn Smith, which looks like a TV series. So we're just going to go ahead and click in here. I'm just going to go ahead and read the synopsis here. It says, woven together from firsthand accounts and expert interviews, family archives, and rare access to key participants. Explore the winding and enigmatic tale of the 30-year-long search for justice for Beverly Lynn Smith. Says the first episode date was May 6th of 2022, and you can apparently watch it on Amazon Prime Video. 
So let's go see who Beverly Lynn Smith is and if we can figure out what happened to her. Okay. Beverly Lynn Smith. Okay. What the first one is what to know about the unsolved murder of Beverly Lynn Smith. So at the very top of this episode on investigationdiscovery.com, it says Canadian police believed that they were zeroing in on the man who had killed a 22-year-old mother, but their controversial investigation yielded nothing more than a false confession and unanswered questions. It says, in 1974, 22-year-old Beverly Lynn Smith was found shot dead in her kitchen while her 10-month-old baby slept unharmed in the next room. In an upcoming Amazon docuseries, it dives into the murder and the botched investigation that comes 30 years after the crime. Very interesting. Let's just go back to Google here and see what our next thing is. And we have what happened to. So the first thing is what happened to Beverly Lynn Smith? We have what happened to Candy Montgomery? What happened to Emmett Till? What happened to Lil Dirk? What happened to Hunter Moore? Let's see, there's a song that says, What happened to Virgil? A movie that's called What Happened to Monday? What happened to Chelsea Ingram? What happened to Archie Battersby? And what happened to Wendy Williams? I'm just going to click on one of these. Let's do what happened to Hunter Moore and see what this is about. Okay, so there is an article from Newsweek.com that was posted seven days ago. The title of it says, What happened to Hunter Moore and where is he now? The first paragraph of the article says, The most hated man on the internet is streaming on Netflix now. And if you were a fan of the jaw-dropping docuseries, such as Don't F With Cats and The Tender Swindler, you will not want to miss it. The three-part series follows the fight of one mother seeking justice for her daughter and other victims of Hunter Moore, dubbed the king of revenge porn and self-proclaimed professional life ruiner. Let's see who... I want to know who Hunter Moore is. Hunter Moore. Okay. We're going to gonna click on Wikipedia, and I know that's not, like, the best source, but that's the first thing that comes up. Okay, so Wikipedia says that Hunter Moore, born in 1986, is a convicted criminal from Sacramento, California. Rolling Stone called him the most hated man on the internet, which is exactly what the Newsweek article said. It says that in 2010, he created the revenge porn website, Is Anyone Up?, which allowed users to post sexual and explicit photos of people online without their consent. That guy sounds horrible. It says the FBI started an investigation on Moore in 2012 after receiving evidence from the mother of one of his victims. The site was then closed in April of 2012 and sold to an anti-bullying group. That is a great thing. And it says, in February of 2015, Moore pleaded guilty to felony charges for aggravated identity theft and aiding and abetting in the unauthorized access of a computer. In November of 2015, he was sentenced to two years and six months in prison. I would say that's not long enough. 
He was given a $2,000 fine and had to pay $145 in restitution. In 2017, he was released from prison. How nice. Let's let this guy just walk out and be free. So then, like the Newsweek article said, in 2020, Netflix released the Most Hated Man on the Internet docuseries that was actually based on him. And it says, although he initially agreed to take part in the series, he eventually declined. And the series reached third on the Netflix top 10 list. Very interesting. Let's go ahead and move on to the next Google search autofill question. And this one says, can dogs eat? We have, can dogs eat watermelon, strawberries, pineapple, apples, grapes, tomatoes, cucumbers, cantaloupe, peaches, and broccoli? I don't have a dog, so I actually don't know if any of these answers are yes or if some of them might be no. Let's look. Can dogs eat pineapples? The short answer is yes, dogs can eat pineapples. It says that pineapple is just one of the many quote-unquote human foods that dogs can eat. It says raw pineapple is packed with nutrients that benefit both you and your canine companion. Frozen pieces of pineapple are also a delicious way to beat the heat. And that is exactly what everyone needs right now because it is so hot outside. Let's go back and click on another one. Can dogs eat? Ooh, let's click on this one. Can dogs eat avocados? Google says in large amounts, it can cause vomiting, diarrhea, and myocardial damage. And avocado's flesh is high in fat content, can lead to gastrointestinal upset and parasites in dogs if they eat too much. So that just means that you probably shouldn't give your dog avocados. Let's try one more on what can dogs eat. So dogs, can dogs eat apples? It says, yes, dogs can eat apples. Apples are an excellent source of vitamins A and C, as well as fiber for your dog. Google says they are low in protein and fat, making them the perfect snack for senior dogs. Just be sure to remove the seeds and core first. I didn't add that at the very end. That was 100% Google right there. Okay, let's try another one. This one says, what's the most random weapon? Let's try in the world. The 22 weirdest military weapons. We have 21 of the world's most bizarre weapons. The six weirdest guns ever made, weird weapons, and surprising World War I objects. Let's look at the six weirdest guns ever made. So we have one. Number one is called the Krumloff, an STG-44 assault rifle. It's got a curved barrel and refers to a barrel and periscope sight com combination with 30-degree bend that could be fitted to a standard Sturmgeier 44 assault rifle. I bet you I said that 100% wrong. Let's see. Fieldandstream.com says it allowed the gun to shoot around corners without exposing the shooter and was intended for tank crews. Number two is the Coffee Mill Sharps. 
It is a .52 caliber Sharps new model, 1863 carbine from the Buffalo Bill Center of the West. Shows an exploded view of the buttstock's coffee grinder. Oh, interesting. You can actually... It says, the Union Army ran on coffee. Each soldier was issued 36 pounds of beans a year, and it brewed by the one-quart tin cupful, strong enough to float a horseshoe, and heavily sweetened with sugar or molasses. It was issued in bean form because war profiters were fond of mixing dirt into ground coffee, so Billy Yank got to roast and grind his own. You can apparently... Grind your coffee with this gun. That's very interesting. Okay, number three is called the A-square .577 T-Rex. It is a brainchild of Lieutenant Colonel Art Alfin, who, while an instructor at West Point, began building dangerous game rifles chambered for standard cartridges for his own line of profitory rounds. Let's see, Colonel, Lieutenant Colonel Alfin retired from the Army in 1997 and went into the gun business full-time. Says his masterpiece was developed in 1993 at the request of two Zimbabwe professional hunters who wanted a stopping rifle that would stop literally anything. So it fires a 750-grain bullet at an honest 2,450 FPS and produces 10,180 foot-pounds of muzzle energy. If you know what that means, and that is apparently significant, fantastic. I have no idea what that means. Number four is this cute little revolver that is called the Velo Dog. It says, in the 19th century France, the bicycle or Velocipede, as it was called then, came much into fashion and dogs discovered it was a great sport chasing after peddlers and biting at their legs or trousers. The answer to the problem was the Velo Dog Revolver. Oh no. Says the invention of one Rene Galland. It was a small double action pocket revolver with a shrouded hammer and in later models a long guardless trigger. It was also called the Revolver de Pooch pocket revolver, which was just the answer for pesky poodles and their ilk. Okay. We don't want that one. That one's not good. Number five is called the three-gauge kiln gun, and from this picture, it does not look like a gun, but it says, at five feet long and 50 pounds, it was too small to be a punt gun and way too big to be a conventional game gun. It was instead a kiln gun. This says, still mills, after the molten metal was poured from their kilns, found the enormous vats encrusted with slag, which is a stony residue that results when metal is melted out of its ore. The mills discovered that they could get rid of it by sending men into the kilns with hammers, or they could blast the slag into dust with a shotgun. Thus, the kiln gun, which fired a monstrous charge of number 12 shot through a slot in the kiln and did the job in an instant. The modern-day kiln gun weighs around 220 pounds and has a useful life of a quarter million rounds. They are fired parallel to the kiln walls to avoid punching holes in it. And the last one is called the Gyrojet Rocket Gun. The NBA Gyrojet was made in handgun and carbine configurations. 
rather than conventional ammunition, they fired 12 millimeter and 13 millimeter rockets called microjets. It says these projectiles had angled ports in their bases that contained propellant and a primer in their center. And when you pulled the trigger, a flat striker ahead of the microjet struck the rocket on its nose, driving it rearward into a fixed firing pin. This hit the primer, which ignited the ports, and the rocket accelerated to about 1,250 FPS. The angled ports caused the rocket to spin in flight, removing the need for fins. Okay, if you know what that is, that's great. I didn't understand any of that. It was essentially a foreign language to me. We're going to go back to this question and click on Ranker.com. And the title of this says, The Most Ridiculous Real Weapons Used Throughout History. Going to pick out just a couple of them. We already talked about the Krumlov, which was that curved assault rifle. We have this one that says nuclear landmines kept warm by chickens. Designed as a way of deterring and stopping a Soviet invasion of Germany in the aftermath of World War II, Project Blue Peacock involved seeding the North German plain with nuclear landmines. But the mines had to be kept warm to prevent spontaneous detonation, and British engineers devised a bizarre way to do this. Chickens. Chicken coops would be set up over the mines, and the body heat from the chickens would provide the needed warmth to prevent the mines from going off and turning half of Germany into a dead zone. I love chickens, and I would be afraid to put my chicken coop on top of that because I don't want it to just randomly explode. Okay, we have Antonov A-40 flying tank. This says, essentially, a light tank with glider wings attached to it. The A-40 was designed by the Soviet Union to be airlifted in support of airborne or partisan operations. One prototype was built, but the design was impossible to tow by aircraft of the day, and there was no assurance that the tank and the crew would land together, so the project was scrapped. Let's go look and see if we can say any of these things okay we have the davy crockett nuclear rifle oh no this says probably the smallest nuclear weapon ever developed the davy crockett would give american soldiers in the field the ability to rain atomic fire on their enemies at ultra close range despite its small yield inaccuracy low range and the extreme danger it posed to everyone who used it the Army manufactured over 2,000 Davy Crockett's, deploying them from 1961 to 1971. So let me know if you were ever in the Army between 1961 and 1971 and you got to use the Davy Crockett rocket thing. I want to know. Let me know. All right. Let's see what we have next. Let's just go back out of here. What's the scariest? Oh, okay. What's the scariest movie? What is the scariest movie on Netflix? What's the scariest game on Roblox? What's the scariest thing in the world? What is the scariest word? And what's the scariest animal? Let's look on what is the scariest thing in the world. Okay, we have... Website called the tealmango.com. 
10 scariest things in the world. Number one is the triple galaxy collision. It says the triple galaxy collision has been one of the scariest things to ever take place. Humankind has already observed it in 2007. While it is very normal for two galaxies to collide, a collision of all three is scary indeed. We have something that looks like a plant, and it is called, correct me if I'm wrong, the gimpi. The gimpi is an Australian plant having a sting so strong that it may last for months. The scariest part of this plant is the poison that takes effect. This plant has stinging hairs that lead to immense painful sensations throughout the body. Uh, Cursed objects is number three. We don't need to discuss that. We know exactly what that is. There is something called the Bolton Stride. It says, between Barden Tower and Bolton Abbey in Yorkshire, England, rests one of the most dangerous traps of nature. It may look like a small mountain stream stretching about six feet. The water appears calm, but the powerful undercurrent may pull anyone that falls into it, causing them to die. If you live close to this, please just don't go. It might look pretty, but don't get in. Number five says, the brain-eating amoeba is significantly known as Naglaria fowleri. The parasite can enter the human body through your nose if you swim in contaminated water. From your nose, the amoeba travels to your brain, resulting in a lot of inflammation. That does sound pretty scary. Now, while this says number six is jellyfish, and they can be one of the deadliest animals in the world today, I still believe that jellyfish are just so beautiful. But there is apparently one, and I'm not even going to try to pronounce it, but it says that if you get stung by this specific jellyfish, you could develop a syndrome, and many scientists have described it as a feeling of impending doom. Number seven is the fear of heights. I understand that, and I get it if you are afraid of heights. It's okay. Number eight says the Church of Bones. It is a church in the Czech Republic, and the scary part about it is this place is the interiors of the church are made of human bones. Number nine is called the Codex Gigas. Another bone-chilling incident that may take away your good night's sleep is Codex Gigas, also known as the Devil's Bible. This book is a legendary Latin manuscript believed to be the product of a monk's bargain with Satan himself. Okay. And number 10 is Biological Warfare. We don't really have to go into detail about that one either. I'm pretty sure we all know what that one is. All right, let's go ahead and move on to our next one. It is the murder that. So we have the murder that shook Iceland, the murder that obsessed Italy, the murder that happened last night, the murder that inspired Scream, the murder that inspired Jennifer's body, the murder that ripped a town apart, and a couple of TV series, one that's called Gabby Petito, the murder that gripped the world. We have Caroline, the murder that fooled the world, and Stephen, the murder that changed a nation. Let's look and see what the murder that shook Iceland is. The first article that shows up is from 2018 from theguardian.com. 
The very beginning of this article says, in a country with one of the lowest murder rates in the world, the killing of a 20-year-old woman upended the nation's sense of itself. Let's see. It says, a vivacious 20-year-old woman with auburn hair and a sharp sense of humor. Berna grew up in the suburbs, a 30-minute walk away. She liked music, everything from hip-hop to folk, and she liked to drive. And so, in the summer of 2016, she embraced the Icelandic pastime, which was cruising slowly down the street in her father's car with her friends, windows open, speakers blaring, past the boutiques and coffee bars and tourist shops selling soft toy puffins and knitted jumpers. It says that winter when the sun appeared for only five hours a day and the snow piled deep on the mountains, Berna had been enjoying the nightlife. It says after finishing work on a Friday, she would often play cards in a pub with some friends, and then after midnight, when people in Rikivik finally started to party, they would go dancing as they did on the evening of January 13th, 2017. It says that she was with a group of people that night and got up and danced on the stage. Her friends decided to leave around 2 a.m. and she told them that she was going to stay. She then left the club around 3 as it was closing. She started walking up the street, which was brightly lit at the time. Walking alone, obviously. It says that it was negative 9 degrees Celsius with a wind chill, but that apparently didn't bother her. She was obviously drunk because she'd been hanging out with friends and stuff. But then it says that she just disappeared. wonder if they found her. Let's go back and see if we can find out more information about her. wonder if they ever found her. Okay, so I ended up just going straight back to Google and typing in her name. And it says that so she disappeared on January 14th. And her body was found on January 17th. It does look like someone named Thomas Olson, who was a crew member who had rented a car, was charged with her murder on March 30th. And then he was found guilty in September. It says DNA had been identified on one of the laces on her boots and his fingerprints were on her driver's license. He did attempt to appeal in November of 2018, but the high court affirmed his conviction and his sentence of 19 years in prison for the murder and drug smuggling, in addition to assessment of 29 million kroner, which is roughly about $243,000 in cost and compensations, also went into force. Um, says a high court declined a request for a further appeal in February of 2019, and he was then transferred to Denmark to serve his sentence there in October of 2019. Very interesting. We are actually going to stop right there with our Google search autofill. And we're going to pick that back up in about two weeks. Next week we'll have our mini episode. And then that following week we will continue the Google search as a part two. Because you guys did send me so much like answers. And it's actually very intriguing. But we need to get into our True Crime News Corner because we have a lot of things to cover for July. So without further ado... The body of a 12-year-old boy who disappeared while swimming off the coast of Virginia Beach 
was found dead on July 3rd. Authorities state that he was on vacation with his family during the 4th of July holiday weekend. Sarah Cruzen was 16 years old in 1994 when she killed George Howard. She was then convicted of murder in 1995 and sentenced to life in prison. George sexually abused and trafficked her starting when she was just 13. The then-California governor, Arnold Schwarzenegger, commuted her sentence from life to life with a possibility of parole in 2011. She was then paroled in 2013, but her conviction still stood. The now-California governor, Gavin Newsom, pardoned her conviction on July 5th. Despite this, she is still listed as a convicted felon in California, but her legal team is working to overturn her conviction completely. Twelve members of a religious group in Australia were charged on July 6 for the alleged murder of an eight-year-old girl. She died at her home in Rangerville after allegedly being denied medical treatment for six days. Her parents had already been charged in January. A federal judge sentenced Jerry Harris, a former star of the Netflix documentary series Cheer, to 12 years in prison for coercing teenage boys to send him obscene photos and videos of themselves and soliciting sex for minors at cheerleading competitions. Earlier in the year, Jerry pleaded guilty to one count each of receiving child pornography and traveling with the intention to engage in illegal sexual conduct. The judge told Jerry to consider the sentence as an expression of the seriousness of his crimes, tempered with some hope that all is not lost for him or for his victims, and that in the future some healing can occur. Eric Holder Jr. was convicted of first-degree murder. Eric fatally shot L.A. rapper Nipsey Hussle at a clothing store on March 31, 2019. He also injured two other people. Eric was arrested just two days after the shooting and charged. The jury found Eric guilty of attempted voluntary manslaughter for shooting the two bystanders. Sentencing will come at a later date. A judge sentenced Jarek Chauvin to 21 years in federal prison for violating George Floyd's civil rights. The U.S. District Judge stated this during his sentencing. I really don't know why you did what you did. To put your knee on a person's neck until they expired is simply wrong. Your conduct is wrong and it is offensive. When Derek pleaded guilty to violating George's rights, he admitted for the first time that he kept his knee on George's neck even after he became unresponsive. Ramesh Balwani, the former COO of failed blood testing startup Theranos, was found guilty of defrauding investors and patients. Ramesh could face up to 20 years in prison as well as a fine of $250,000 plus restitution for each count of wire fraud and each conspiracy count. Former Japanese Prime Minister Shinzo Abe was shot and killed while at a campaign rally. Security tackled the suspected gunman at the scene and he was immediately arrested by police. The shooter was unemployed at the time and was a former member of Japan's Maritime Self-Defense Force for three years. He attacked Shinzo because he believed that he was associated with a group that the gunman hated. Authorities found several handmade guns at his home during a search. 
Jennifer Shad, star of The Real Housewives of Salt Lake City, pleaded guilty in federal court for conspiracy to commit wire fraud. She and her business partner, Stuart Smith, were accused of carrying out a wide-ranging telemarketing scheme that defrauded hundreds of victims throughout the United States. Several of those people are over the age of 55. She is also charged with conspiracy to commit money laundering. She could face up to 30 years in prison. Four people were killed after two single-engine planes crashed into each other at North Las Vegas Airport. Matthew Biner, the president of the flight school Biner Enterprises, is the owner of one of those planes. He was not the pilot at the time. He is cooperating with the FAA and the National Transportation Safety Board in their investigation. The administration has categorized the collision as an accident and not deliberate. Ivana Trump, the first wife of former President Donald Trump, died in an accident as a result of suffering blunt impact injuries to her torso. She was found dead in her Manhattan residence. A senior New York City official with direct knowledge of the matter stated, The circumstances of her death are consistent with a fall down the stairs. Thomas Lane, a former Minneapolis police officer, was sentenced to 30 months in prison for violating George Floyd's civil rights. He will be required to pay a mandatory restitution while in prison and afterwards. He will also have a supervised release of two years. He is not allowed to own a firearm or weapon and cannot contact George's family. Spanish police have arrested two professional thieves who are accused of stealing more than $1.6 million worth of wine from a hotel in the south of the country. They were caught stealing 45 bottles of wine from a restaurant in western Spain. The heist took place in 2021 and was planned in minute detail with the thieves visiting the restaurant three times to prepare themselves. A U.S. jury found Steve Bannon guilty of contempt of Congress after a four-day trial for defying requests for information by the Congressional Committee investigating the January 6th attack on the Capitol. Both counts carry a minimum of 30 days and up to a year in jail. Two parents and their six-year-old daughter were fatally shot in an Iowa State Park. The only survivor was their nine-year-old son. The suspected gunman was found in the park dead from an apparent self-inflicted gunshot wound. The gunman's motive is still a mystery to authorities. Tao Theo, a former Minneapolis police officer, was sentenced to three and a half years in prison for violating George Floyd's civil rights. Alexander Keong, a former Minneapolis police officer, was sentenced to three years in prison for violating George Floyd's civil rights. Reuben Smith has been listed as a possible suspect in the 1987 murder of Shannon Lloyd and the 1989 murder of Renee Cuvez. Both of these have been cold until a DNA match identified Reuben Smith. He died by suicide in 1999 at the age of 39. DNA was collected during his arrest for another crime, and after testing it, it came back as a positive match for the DNA profile left at both crime scenes. Bishop Lamar Whitehead was in the middle of delivering his sermon at the Leaders of Tomorrow International Ministries Church when three gunmen entered the room and forced him down on the ground. 
the gunmen displayed firearms and demanded property. They were able to walk away with close to $1 million worth of jewelry. All of this was being live-streamed. At a service on Sunday, July 31st, Bishop Whitehead bizarrely reenacted the heist. The FBI is opening settlement discussions with survivors of sexual assault by former U.S. gymnastics team doctor Larry Nasser. The Justice Department's Inspector General detailed the botched FBI probe of Larry Nasser last year. They stated that the Bureau failed to respond to Larry's allegations with the utmost seriousness and urgency that they deserved and required. They made numerous and fundamental errors when they did respond to them and violated multiple FBI policies. Again. Rahil Ahmed drove 11 hours from his home in Georgia to his ex-wife Sania Khan's apartment in Chicago. After a welfare check was done on her, Chicago police found both of them unresponsive from gunshot wounds to the head. A coroner ruled her death as a homicide and his death as a suicide. Sania separated from her husband earlier this year despite pressure from her family. She documented the journey via social media. From the pain of leaving a marriage that she should have never been in, to the shame she felt at the hand of her South Asian community, to the heart-wrenching process of starting her life over. She once stated on social media this, Going through a divorce as a South Asian woman feels like you failed at life sometimes. The way the community labels you, the lack of support you receive, and the pressure to stay with someone because what will people say is isolating. It makes it harder for women to leave marriages that they should have never been into to begin with. And finally, Florida Police Sergeant Christopher Polias was charged with assault and battery on a law enforcement officer as well as evidence tampering and assaulting a civilian. He was relieved of his supervisory duties in January. This is all from an incident that occurred in November where body cam footage shows Officer Paluzzi grab a fellow female officer by the throat while pushing her backward into another patrol car. If convicted, Officer Paluzzi faces five years in prison on the felony battery charge and five years for evidence tampering. He faces one year for the assault on an officer charge and 60 days for assault on a civilian. And that concludes tonight's episode. But before you go, please take a moment to check out this promo from my friends at the Flix X-Raid podcast. Hi, this is Tony, the host of the Flix X-Raid podcast. Each week, I am joined by guests. Hello. Yo. Why, hello there. Hello. Hey. Hello. Hello. And we have a roundtable discussion where we dig deep and x-ray a bunch of our favorite films and some really terrible ones, too. We really like to go back and take a look at films that may be forgotten, maybe in the past, and still lovable films. If you want, you can follow us on all the major platforms, iTunes, Google, Stitcher. If you want to find out more, you can find us online at www.flixxray.com. And you can also find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram if you want to reach out to us. Good night, Internet. Thanks for sticking around to the end. Be sure to follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.